from the morning church in October. Happy October is the third today. Yeah, happy October third. We are less than 90 days away from the new year. Think about that for a second. 75% or more done with the year. That is wild. Uh, we thank you guys for coming. If you guys would understand with us as we worship, uh, if you guys are looking for lyrics, you can find them right over there at the lyrics table if you like the physical sheets or online at cidlhammer.com forward slash. Sorry, you can find the speaker notes there. We don't put lyrics there anymore because we've got screens. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for joining us bright and early this morning. Uh, let's get into worshiping our God. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the waters, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table, he will satisfy taste of his goodness find what you're looking for for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us whoever believes in him will live forever Bring all your failures. Bring all your failures. Bring your addictions. Come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. See his open arms. For God so loved the world that he gave us. His one and only son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. The power of hell forever defeated. Now it is well. I'm walking in freedom for God so loved. God so loved the The power of hell forever. 
afflictions come to lay them down at the foot of the cross jesus is waiting god so loved the world like you do God I look to 
Well, welcome everybody to Church in the Valley, whether you're here with us in the courtyard today or joining us from home. Um, I just want to welcome you. My name is Mark Klepsig. I have the privilege of leading a community group and uh, really glad that you're here today with us. If you're our guest this morning uh, here in person, we have a book that's called How Good Is Good Enough? And I encourage you to take one of those for yourself or family or friends uh, on the guest resource table over here. Um, feel free to grab one of those. Uh, listening, we have our listening guide as well as the song lyrics. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, connection card at civalhambra.com slash Sunday. As Victor said before, the song lyrics are obviously on our big TVs. Uh, but we actually do still carry a few copies uh, in the re guest resource table as well. So if you'd like to have the paper copies, uh, feel free to pick one of those up. So if you'd like to support our church, you're welcome to give online or drop your offering in the buckets that are around uh, the campus today. And also, uh, after service, you can give any recycling or hand back the pens uh, and the programs in those same buckets, and we'll take care of that recycling for you. So thank you for that. Uh, if uh, We would like everybody to fill out a connection card. Uh, that's just a way that we can know what's going on with you. So if you're a regular here, just fill out whatever applies to you. Um, and if you are a guest and you're here this morning in person, we'd love for you to let, let us know how you found out about us. Uh, there's boxes like first time, second time guest, and then how you heard about Church in the Valley. That just helps us know how we can better reach the community and let them know that we're here. Uh, um, for everybody, that connection card is, is an opportunity for you to let us know how God's answered prayers or um, what we can be praying for you, or what's going on in your life. Uh, the leadership would really in enjoy um, praying for you this week. So just let us know what's going on. And finally, we do have a baptism overview coming up. So October 17th, it's a couple weeks from now at 11.15, right after service uh, here at the Alhambra. And that will be for folks that know that they want to get baptized or people that are just curious about what does baptism mean want to get more information about that. Um, there'll be uh, baptism on November 14th, so about a month prior. We encourage you to find out what if that's all about and decide if that's something that uh, God's asking you to do. So there'll be one overview for adults and one for kids, so please sign up on your connection card. And once again, we're really glad that you're here with us today. So we're going to sing another song and worship uh, God again as we wait for John Taylor to give his message. Now with us from singing of how great our God is. From the darkness, I'll call your name. Into darkness, your mercy came. You called me out, lifted me of grace you called me out lifted me up how great is your love from the heights of heaven you stepped down to earth in 
innocent perfection gave your life for us and we are amazed we stand in awe for we have been changed by the power of the cross how great how great how great is your love how great how great how great is your love how great how great how great is your love for us in your kindness you lead me home in your presence where i belong you call me in me up. How great is your love. From the heights of heaven, you step down to earth. Innocent perfection gave your life for us and we
God, we thank you that your love is so great and so wide. That it's your love that's rooted in your ways and your thoughts that are above ours and beyond our comprehension, Lord. For all the grace and all the mercy that we do not deserve, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us. Speak to us through your uh, servant John today, Lord. May we receive your word with open hearts. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So welcome John up. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. It's lovely to see you. And I'm so glad you're here. For those of you connecting online, also great. And uh, we thank you for being with us. Wonderful. So, we've been going through a series on Exodus chapters 32 through 34. And we're nearly done with this series. We've got one more week after this week to the end of chapter 34. But we've seen a story of Israel's disobedience, their rebellion, and their restoration. This is really what the story is about. And it's a story of how they disastrously committed idolatry and break, broke the covenant that God had made with them virtually immediately prior. How divine judgment was announced and in some ways put into practice, but we saw also the story of Moses' intercession, how through prayer and Moses pleading with God, the judgment that could have been much worse could have been was averted. We saw God's gracious response, and we see his character, his glory revealed in faithfulness, in mercy, in justice, and in love. But this is really a passage, of course, from Exodus. And Exodus is part of a group of five books in the Old Testament, which we sometimes call the Pentateuch. And it's the first five books of the Bible. Sometimes in some uh, translations of the Bible, other cultures, you might, it, each of these books is, is what is called the books of Moses, one, two, three, and four, and five. And this is, so, and, and sometimes this collection of books which really is the origin story of the world and Israel. It's this, in some, some parts of the Bible elsewhere, like in the New Testament, this is called the law because it's got a lot of legal codes in it. And in fact, the passage we're going to look at today is a passage of mainly legal codes. And we have to think before we read this, so just a little bit, how we can interpret the legal passages in the Old Testament as part of New Covenant Church of, of Jesus. And I think it's just quite important, obviously, uh, because the New Testament is very clear that Israel, now that Jesus has come, is no longer under the law in the way that they were under the law before. And yet, and yet, the law is still scripture it's still christian scripture and it's still the word of god to us 
and yet how do we respond to it? And of course, the law was given to Israel as their, as their, if you like, their constitution and their basic laws. This is how Israel is supposed to live as a nation under God in the covenant with God. Here's how you are to live. Here's your constitution and here is your basic laws. And that's what the Pentateuch really is, especially the law that was given at Mount Sinai in the books of Exodus and Leviticus. And so how do we then as Christians read this? Read this, And what we can say is a couple of things. One is we always want to try to hear in any passage of Scripture what did it mean for the first readers and for the author? What was really going on here that they needed to hear? We also need to ask the question, uh, is there a principle that's being discussed here, that's being put forward? Because the law is still revelation. It's still a revelation of God and his ways. It may, it's perhaps, things have changed to some way, right, since, since Jesus has come. That is to say, for a, a Jew before Christ, the law is what constitutes your relationship to God. It's what constructs your relationship to God. You want to know how to repent from a sin? You've got to do it according to the law. You've got to take this sacrifice to the temple. You want to know, uh, you know how to treat your neighbor? Here's what you do when your neighbor's animal wanders, wanders into your field. Uh, and here's the penalties if you don't do that. And so... If you want to know how do you worship God, then you're given these festivals that you need to turn up at and worship God with, with bringing the appropriate sacrifice when you come. Your relationship to God is not limited to the law as, an, as a Jew before Christ, but you are nevertheless, this, the core structure of your relationship with God is through the legal mandates that are given by Moses as they were given to him by God. It's a relationship, but it's a relationship that structure is built legally for the whole nation. For us, though, that's changed because of Christ. Our relationship to God is not structured by a set of rules and regulations. It's structured in Christ himself and through the Holy Spirit. And so that's a change. And yet the law still teaches us the ways of God. And the law then informs us of God's character. It forms us of God's ways. And it gives us incredible insight into how humans are meant to live in this world if they're following the Lord. So that's how we're going to treat this passage this morning. And we're going to start in uh, Exodus 34, starting in verse 9. Now, remember the context. Moses has just seen the Lord on the Mount Sinai. At least he saw the Lord's back. He saw something of the Lord's glory. He heard the Lord proclaim to him his name and his character. And he immediately bowed down low and worshipped the Lord when he saw the Lord. That's the context. Now we pick it up in verse 9. And he said, 
If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he, that is the Lord, said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom, whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. That's the beginning of our passage. Moses has said, God, forgive us, go with us. God's response is to create a covenant, or at least to restore the covenant that had broken. I want you to see in verse 9 here a couple of important things. But first of all, we can say, and I'm using a language from the New Testament here, that is that we are, well, let me say it like this. God is creating a covenant people. He wants to have people who are going to represent him in the world, be his special people. And the first thing we need to know about this people is this, that they are a forgiven people, a covenant people who is a covenant community is, first of all, a forgiven people. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we've got to walk with him. That is not against him. Right? We've got to be on his side. We've got to be walking his way. And for that to happen, we have to be forgiven because we have not walked in God's ways. And so notice in this verse 9, he says, If I have found favor in your sight, remember the word favor here may be translated grace, chain in, in the Hebrew. It's based on God's grace that he already knows about. He says, go, let the Lord go with us. You know, the Lord had said, I'm not going to come with you. And Moses had prayed three or four times, Lord, please come with us. And every time God says, yes, I'm coming with you. And this is the final time. And Moses is still not quite convinced that he's got what he wants. And, and so he's asking again. And he rec Moses recognizes the sinfulness of Israel stiff-necked and stubborn people and he prays for forgiveness the goodness of god the grace and the goodness of god leads to repentance you see what moses is trying to portray is humility and repentance he's expressing sorrow over israel's sin a forgiven people is first of all a repentant and humble people Right? A forgiven people is a repentant and humble people. And so this is a prayer for forgiveness and presence based on God's favor, acknowledging their obstinacy and guilt and asking for pardon. You know, Paul says in Romans 2.4, Do you presume upon the riches of his, that is God's, kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Moses has an understanding of God's grace. The appropriate response of a sinful people to a gracious God is humility and repentance, to turn away from our sin, to humble ourselves and receive forgiveness. Notice then that in this verse, the movement starts with God. It's on the basis of God's favor that Moses is called, that he already knows about that he's asking for forgiveness, right? It starts with God. You know that Jesus is already coming out to you, right? On the cross, 
God has already expressed his love to you. He's already expressed his heart of forgiveness. You can't receive it until you humble yourself and repent and choose to walk with him. We love, John says in his letter, because he, that is God, first loved us. And look at the, the, the last line of that prayer. Moses says, take us for your inheritance. He, Israel is to be God's own people, his inheritance to represent him, to belong to God. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says to the Corinthian church, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. You are not your own, you are bought with a price. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, he talks about how God set the borders of, of, for every nation, but in verse 9, Deuteronomy 32, he says this, the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. Israel is to be God's own people in the midst of the nations. Same sort of thing in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And by the way, the New Testament describes the church in the same terms. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now that the new covenant has come and Jesus has come, it's the new covenant people that are God's chosen people to be in the world, a, a, a priesthood to him, a holy nation to belong to him. God's own inheritance. And Peter goes on to say, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his, into his marvelous light. What's the role of God's own holy people in the midst of the world? What was Israel's role and what is the church's role in the world? And they're not identical, but they are similar, right? One of those roles is to be a witness to the nations, right? It's a key role. As Peter said, you're a holy nation, so that you can proclaim God's excellencies. You can proclaim how incredible he is to the nations of the world. This is what verse 10 says, right? That they're blessed to be a blessing. He said, God said, behold, I'm making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as such have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you, among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it's an awesome thing that I will do with you. God is going to, is going to have a covenant people, a covenant community. That's Israel. He's going to bless them with incredible marvels, with great things. What's the point? Is it just so that they can be filled up and blessed? No. It's so that the peoples, the earth, the nations will see the work of the Lord, will see the goodness of God, will see what he has done. We are blessed to be what? A blessing. We're best blessed to be a blessing. That's pretty much exactly what God said to Abram in Genesis 12, verse 2. He says, he says to Abram, 
I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Whatever God has done in blessing his covenant community is not just for you. He loves you. You're his precious people. You're his inheritance. But guess what? He's blessed you to make you a blessing. The covenant community is not a closed community. Hello? Listen. The covenant community is not a closed community. The doors are open. Amen? The doors are open. The invitation is out. The covenant community is, to, is, in, is placed by God. Israel as his covenant community there in the midst of the nations. The church as God's covenant community scattered across the world is there to witness to how great our God is. It's the, to tell people the doors are open. The invitation is out. Come on in. Blessed to be a blessing. We must, to be God's covenant people, covenant community, we must, what, what turn our blessings, right, into witness. We've got to turn our blessings into witness. We just absorb all the good things of God, rock up to church every week and just get blessed out of our socks, you know, as we're worshiping the Lord or something. We don't tell anybody about it. We're not being God's covenant community as he expected. Sometimes the covenant community of God, the church of God, feels pressured. We feel stressed. We feel under threat. And at that point, the temptation is to shut up, the, shut the doors. When my wife, Heidi, uh, was spent a, a number of, uh, more than six months in, in mission work in Pakistan, and uh, there was a uh, visited a church there, the team that she was with visited a church, and uh, it was a you know, and the, the Christian community in that country is very small and feels under threat, feels under pressure. And as the team were sharing, their, you know, the word of God, their testimonies, their singing, and in this church service, in this gathering, other local people started to peer in the windows, see what's going on. It's, it's, it's kind of an odd event. You know, a group of Westerners in, the, in, the, in their village, church people went and shut, shut the doors, shut the windows, the shutters, so they couldn't see in. And I can understand that. They felt under pressure. They felt like for years they've been persecuted, marginalized. And, and it, but you can get to that point where you don't want anything to disturb what you have within the community. You've got to open the doors, amen. You've got to let people in like we were let in. <laughs> we're blessed to be a blessing. Now, we move to the next part of our passage, which is from verse 11 to 17. And this is really talking about the covenant community as a loyal people. We talked about the covenant community as a forgiven people, blessed people. Now we're going to talk about the covenant community as a loyal people. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest I, you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. 
For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. All right, now we're getting in, right into this legal code. And it's talking about a covenant community. They need to be a loyal people, right? After, this is so key, after they've been disloyal, after they have been idolatrous, after they've been disobedient, how are they going to stay loyal now? They've been forgiven. They've been, God's promised them his presence. He's promised them the promised land. He's going to be with them. He's forgiven their sin. But how are they going to stay loyal, not back off like they did before? You know, they came through the Red Sea miraculously. They're being fed, by the way, every day, miraculously from heaven by bread, by manna coming down, and, and they just have to go out and collect it. They're living in, in miracles every day. And, and so, but what's going to, even that didn't keep them loyal. So God gives them some laws, and this is going, it's not going to guarantee their, law, their loyalty, right? Because law can never guarantee loyalty, right? You know that. Law can never guarantee loyalty, but there's a principle here that we want to look at. It gives them some laws. But notice it starts, this law is given as, as, a, as a response to God's deliverance. Keep what I command you this day. I'm going to drive out before you all these tribes, the Canaanite tribes. God's going to give them a land. And he says, first basic thing is obey what I'm commanding you this day, verse 10. It's a, obedience is a response to deliverance, right? It starts with God. His deliverance of us should lead to our obedience. How many times have I seen people who were touched by the Lord, set free from all sorts of trouble, addiction, physical illness, and then just go on their merry way. One of the examples that most rings in my mind has done for years was a, a mission we, we were involved with in England where uh, there was a 15-year-old boy who was coming every night to a series of Christian meetings with an evangelist, and uh, our team was there, and we had uh, this, this boy was an epileptic, and he had, was having seven or eight fits every day, even with medication. He was really really troubled uh, with this with this illness and one night he, he you know in a sort of general prayer altar call thing he came forward and asked people to pray for his epilepsy and our team gathered around him and laid hands on him and prayed for him i want to tell you he was instantly healed he, he did he stopped having fits right from that moment and that was a deliverance for him immediately anyway a few a few days later some of our team said, let's go and visit that, that young man and uh, see how he's doing. I went to see him. He was happy to see, he knocked on his door. He was happy to see them. 
Open the door, welcome him in. He testified, I haven't had a single fit. I've been having seven or eight a day, even though I've been taking my meds. I'm, ha- I'm totally free. And they said to him, well, let's, can we talk about Jesus who set you free from that? Not interested. They want to talk about Jesus who delivered him from terrible epilepsy. Not interested. He got what he came for. He came to be set free from his epilepsy. He got that. And the graciousness and the goodness of God is that God would heal him. But no guarantee that he's going to follow him. But listen. Obedience is is the appropriate response to God's deliverance in your life. Right? What he's done for you, go ahead and obey. Verse 12, he says, let there be, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. We are to have no competing covenants if we're going to be God's covenant community. No competing commitments, you might say. Are there commitments that compete with your commitment to Jesus and his ways? Are there commitments in your life that compete with your commitment to Jesus and his ways with, and they compete with God's covenant with us. You know, it used to be a big deal in, uh, in uh, churches, Protestant churches, evangelical churches, uh, in the days when Freemasonry was a popular thing, when the, these sort of secret societies that would have, uh, uh, and they'd have their oaths and everything. And for, for churches had to, had to deal with this because people were making blood-curdling oaths to a community that wasn't the church. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes those two, two commitments clashed. And the God of, that, of those groups wasn't the same, wasn't defined the same as the Christian God. And, and so many Christians decided, look, I cannot be Freemason here in this commitment and a Christian. I just can't do it. I've got to choose. Sometimes, and not all the time, you can be married, right? That's a covenant commitment that's not in conflict with your commitment to Christ. Uh, but you, you, there's some commitments you make and, and they, you just can't follow them and stay committed to Jesus. No competing covenants or commitments. No competing gods. He says, you should, if you, you know, you're gonna, you should tear down the altars, break the pillars of the Asherim, you know, the, the uh, fertility gods of Canaan. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. What is it that fills your mind, draws your adoration and worship? What is it that draw, fills your mind and draws your adoration and worship and interest? How do I know what really interests you in your life? How does anybody know what's really at the center of your life? You can't find out from one having, you know, an hour with someone. You've got to, but if you were to spend a couple, if someone was to spend, come to your house and spend a couple of weeks in your house, the question would be, would that two weeks in your house draw them closer, closer to Jesus or not? Would it draw them closer to Jesus or not? Would they be, or would they be something else you'd be evangelizing them for? Just some other thing that's more interesting to you than Jesus. I'm not here trying to be super spiritual and say we can only talk about Jesus, you can, you know, anything like that. Uh, that's obviously not true. 
we are, God made us as fully fleshed humans who live a human life and uh, we have all sorts of interests. But what is it? Is there anything in your life that really competes with Jesus for your ultimate interest, your concern, your fascination, your adoration, your worship? That is a problem. You may have no, we're not allowed to have competing covenants, commitments, and gods. And in verse 15 and 16, he talks about how if you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, uh, then when they start their idol worship and they start sacrificing to their gods, you'll get invited. Why? Because idol worship always, always involved eating, involved feasting. And you would get invited. And that's what you do. You invite your mates and your friends and your neighbors to come down to the feast. And that sounds like a good deal. And particularly where, you know, maybe you can marry off your son to their daughters. And that sounds like a good deal as well. But the problem is all those things lead to idolatry because those sacrifices and those feasts are idolatrous. And those people that you marry outside of Israel's community are idol, idol worshippers, and that's going to affect their marriages. It's going to affect their son, your sons. And that was the culture in those days. Typically, the son stayed, you know, in the family farm, and, 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 but the daughters were brought in, if you like. You married someone and brought them to live with you in your, your family community. And that's how this worked in Israel, in the ancient world of the Middle East. And so we should have no competing celebrations, covenants, commitments. We're going to talk in a minute how, how, how rites of celebration shape our lives and teach values. But I want to say something about intermarriage here or marriage uh, outside of the church because this is, 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 there is, a, I think, a strong analogy between Israel told not to worship idol-worshipping women, not to marry idol-worshipping people, right? Because they're going to draw you away from God, from your commitment to the Lord. They're going to draw you into idol worship. We see this in the Bible with Solomon, who married, you know, uh, women who were idol worshippers, and they brought that to him, and he ends up worshiping in idols and building temples to them. Uh, you know, finding a life partner, finding <laughs> is, a, is a challenging thing for most of us, right? It's something that's pretty difficult, and and uh, Sometimes we just get desperate and people decide I'm going to marry outside of the faith. They're going to find someone and they just want to get married. And, and so they find someone who's, who seems amenable and, you know, attractive. And, and so they just, I'm going to do it. And, and in those situations, uh, let me just say something here. The, the Bible is pretty clear on this. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time the, in, in, a, when a, in a kind of marriage of a Christian to a non-Christian, guess what's going to happen? The, the Christian is going to drift away, further away from the Lord than they were. They're going to drift. That just happens when someone is in that kind of marriage. Now, I was teaching on this one time in a church group, in, and uh, when I said that, immediately there were two hands put up uh, you know, for a question. that happened to be two couples in that gathering uh, that that had that had gone the other way, you know, they, what we might call missionary dating, you know, uh, where they dated someone and brought them to Christ and married them, and uh, and so 
Uh, mar- well, it was the other way around. They dated someone, married them, then brought them to Christ. And that had happened for two couples in that room. And they were saying, well, it worked for us. Yes, sometimes it does, but mostly it doesn't. You know, it's the, uh, it's the sort of missionary dating order of ch- church order of marriage service, right? I'll alter him. Uh, that's how it goes. Uh, and uh, that's a pun, of course, but uh, it's a, uh, this idea that you're going to change someone by marrying them and they, they're going to follow your ways is just a, a, de- a deception for most of us. Because that's what, whatever person you marry, that's who they are. That's what you've got to love and marry. Now, if you happen to be married to a non-Christian, then the Bible also has good advice. It says, don't divorce them. Maybe they will believe. It gives you some hope that that might happen, if that's how it's happened. But don't, don't try that. You know, it's not like something, it's not a strategy. The last verse then of this section, verse 17, don't make idols, right? You shall not make yourselves any gods of cast metal. This is what they did with the golden calf. Even as Aaron put it, he wanted them to use this golden calf to worship Yahweh, to worship the true God. No idols. We can't, if we're going to be a loyal covenant community, we cannot have competing covenants, competing commitments, competing celebrations, and competing worship. We just can't. Now, we move on to verses 18 to 26, and this is the covenant community as a celebrating people, a celebrating people. It says this, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Bib for the month. In the month of Bib you came out from Egypt. All that opened the womb of mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leaven, or let the sacrifice of the feast of Passover remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And everybody says, Amen to that one. Now, this is about a celebrating people. If we're going to be God's covenant community, a loyal covenant community that makes a difference, that witnesses to Him in the world, right? We've got to be a loyal people. We've got to be forgiven people. We've got to be a loyal people. And thirdly, we've got to be a celebrating people. People. Once you abandon the pagan culture of religious celebration, what do you replace it with? God gave Israel a rhythm of life and celebration that helps create and sustain a God-centered culture and worldview in the middle of a pagan world, a polytheistic world that was going all kinds of ways. He gave them a rhythm of life and celebration that helps create a God-centered culture and worldview. 
you know, Halloween is coming up, right? Uh, whether you like it or not, I don't really like it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it happens. Some people love it. I, I'm still, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I didn't grow, in Australia where I grew up, we just didn't do Halloween, at least in those days. It, I think it sort of crept in, but it, uh, it slithered in, I suppose, I should say. But it's, uh, it's not something that you can see where I, I'm standing on this one. But uh, it's one of those things, I still haven't quite worked out exactly what you're celebrating, although I think at its basics, what you're celebrating is uh, dressing up weird and eating candy. That's pretty much what it's about. Uh, but it's a strange old thing, right? You've got this celebration of, of something uh, that actually, of course, is the evening of All Saints Day. It's meant to be, it's based originally around the church calendar. And you have a day which celebrates all the holy people of God. It, oh, it, oh, sorry, all the, all, and, uh, and so that evening before, and, and uh, that's what you do, that's, this thing has happened to us over the years. And it's a strange old thing. But it's, a, it's a remarkable, of course, how much time and build-up there is to this particular cultural event. And I'm not here to be a, a, you know, a sort of legalist to say, don't do Halloween. I'm not saying that. Uh, some churches do other things. They do harvest festivals. They do, and of course, it happens to coincide. Halloween happens to pretty much to coincide with Reformation Day, the anniversary of the day that Luther pinned the uh, you know, 95 theses of the start of the Protestant Reformation on the church in Witt Wittenberg door in Germany started the sort of return to a biblical faith. That's something you can celebrate. But it's a strange old thing. And you have to ask yourself, what does this actually celebrate? And, and, and uh, uh, But it, uh, the fact that it's there is just an interesting picture of how influential cultural celebrations are. You know, it fills our visual space. Pretty much every street you walk down gets, you know, skeletons and things, and witches and what have you, it, and the stores you go in. Right? It's kind of mixed up with harvest and autumn or fall, right? Because you've got pumpkins and, and leaves and, and, and things like that. Strange old thing. But, and of course, even stranger in Australia where fall or autumn is, in the other, you know, is, is when you have spring. So that doesn't make any sense at all where I come from in the southern hemisphere. So it's a, it's a weird thing. But it's just an illustration here. Your celebration create your culture and they and and they your celebrations right have a significant effect on communicating values what you celebrate typically is what you value and so he, he gives them a list of things to celebrate right first of all he says is in verse 18 to 20 it's celebrate the feast of unleavened bread we can say that what what they're celebrating here and this is the feast, they're celebrating deliverance. They're celebrating God's salvation, setting them free from slavery. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, it's basically the same as the Passover. The Passover was, uh, technically the Passover was the day before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and then the day after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was seven days, you had another day of first fruits. And, and they, but they all basically merged into one festival, as, you, as they do. And 
the Passover, of course, remembers how Israel was set free from Egypt from national slavery through a mighty act of deliverance. And they, every year, they're supposed to gather, they're supposed to sacrifice the lambs in their families and, uh, they, you know, and eat the lamb in their families. Remember uh, that God set them free. And uh, he, remember that God punished the firstborn of Egypt, animal and human, and, uh, and saved the firstborn of Israel. And in doing so, he claimed the firstborn. So this is the celebration. It's a, it's a celebration of deliverance and freedom of salvation. The no leaven, uh, which is no yeast, represents, is just remembering how fast it all happened because there was no time to uh, let your bread rise. And so the, the point of the leaven is, uh, the point of yeast is that, you know, you have to put that in to bake your bread, but it takes time for it to rise. And there's no time. God's going to set you free that quickly, so fast. And that celebrates the fact that you're eating unleavened bread for a week is a way of celebrating the fast, immediate deliverance of God. And guess what? It's a f Passover and unleavened bread in Israel. It's a feast. Yes, it's lamb. Yes, there's no leaven. You know, it's flat bread rather than yeast, yeast bread. But look, it's a feast. And do we have a Christian equivalent to the Passover? Actually, we do, right? It's not the Passover, but it is, it is very similar. That's, of course, the Lord's Supper, which was instituted by Christ on Passover. And Christ is the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice the Lord's Supper then is a feast of celebration of the new Exodus as he's delivering people from sin all over the world and he is that sacrificial lamb of God. The church is meant to be unified around a meal that the, early, that the book of Jude calls an agape, that is a love feast. And it's a celebration of the new Exodus and God has given us this as a way to celebrate our deliverance and to remember Jesus, what he did on the cross and to look forward to the greater meal, of the, you know, the banquet when Jesus comes back and we're all going to be gathered before the Lamb of God. We're all going to be gathered from nations all over the world celebrating and feasting. And it's a little picture of that. Verse 21 he talks about the Sabbath day. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Celebrate here, says creation. We're celebrating actually creation through work and rest. Sabbath was given by God to Israel to make them a distinctive people. But what does it celebrate? It celebrates Genesis 1. God created the world and everything in six days and had a day off. And he gave that, that rhythm to, the, to, to humans. And he gave it to Israel. You know, in Israel, in the ancient world, Israel had the Sabbath. The other nations did not. It's hard for us to imagine a world without a seven-day rhythm. That didn't, but it wasn't the case for ancient Israel. It didn't have that rhythm. God gave them, and it 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 gave meaning both to their work and to their rest. It gave meaning to their work. It says, "We are, if you like, in the image of God." To, to be his representatives in the world through our work and also to celebrate the Lord also through our rest. And that rhythm re reminds us that our work is meant to be good, to be fruitful as we represent God in creation. And that rest is also good. 
That's why the seven-day rhythm is, is really good. It's healthy as well. The last, uh, then it says in verse 22 to 24, there's, there's two other feasts. One is the Feast of Weeks, which is also called here the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And then there's the Feast of Ingathering. So we're celebrating provision of God. Oh, in fact, all three of these big festivals plus Sabbath are all of them celebrating God's provision. The fact that you can day, take a day off work tells you that you have to trust God for your provision even when you're not working because he's providing. Passover is celebrating, there's a kind of first fruits in Passover which celebrates the beginning of the barley harvest uh, in, uh, in Pentecost or, or the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks after Passover. Uh, it's, a big, it's the wheat harvest and then by the time you get to the Feast of Ingathering or sometimes called booths or tabernacles where you live in tents for a week, that's, celebra that's celebrating the, the olive and grape harvest. And all of them are harvest festivals celebrating God's provision. Uh, during the Exodus, that, that, uh, you know, the, the, the tabernacles or the booths or ingathering celebrates God's provision during the Exodus. That they, they reminds them that when you came out of Egypt, all you had to live in was a tent. And so you go live in a tent for a week and have a, have a party. You, you celebrate. And they remind, they celebrate you know, that now have homes and farms. And yet they had, a, they had 40 years where God provided them every day miraculous food in the wilderness when they lived in tents. Celebrating God's provision. And the last thing to say about the celebration here is that verse 25 and 26, to celebrate is more than just a party. He gives them a series of rules. Don't offer the blood of the sacrifice with anything that has yeast in it. Don't let the sacrifice of the Passover remain till the morning. Eat it up. The best of the first fruits of the ground, you know, your wheat, your crops, you shall bring to the house of the Lord. And lastly, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Hard to know exactly what that one means. I've read several things on this, and they all say different. Uh, and quite possibly, it's got to do with a fertility rite uh, that was used to... Uh, uh, to uh, and he's saying, don't do that. The point of this, all of this, is to celebrate is not just a party. It's to celebrate in holiness. In the second century, Tertullian, the early church father, writes about the church's love feast that they have in the evening meal. And uh, after the meal, they would sing. And one of the things that they would get you to do in that church's meal was that everybody had to stand up one by one and sing a, a, a verse of the song they were singing, or maybe a line of the psalm that they were singing, uh, and now the, then you sing the chorus. And the, the point of you having to stand up and sing it was that they could tell if you're drunk or not uh, because by the way you sang. So it was kind of a sobriety test along with worship, right? Uh, it, it, it's a bit odd, but it's, you know, it's, you've got to celebrate in holiness. It's not just an excuse to party. I should say about all these traditions that Israel was given, it's kind of like a liturgy. It's given to them to uphold their values. It's given to them to give them a cultural rhythm, a life rhythm that focuses them back on the Lord again and again and again and again. I should say, however, that tradition, of course, doesn't guarantee loyalty, just like law doesn't guarantee loyalty. And... Uh, 
but it, it can help. One of the things that happens, though, in churches is sometimes we have all our traditions in place, we have our celebrations in place, we have our rhythm in place, and yet we just live a traditional life without the faith, without the life, without the Holy Spirit really empowering what we're doing. And that's when sometimes our traditions get in the way of faith. The final part of the passage, the Lord said to Moses, write these words for in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with you in Israel, a covenant community is a covenant people. He was there with the Lord 40 days and nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. In this, in this short passage, the covenant is restored and is an exclusive covenant. It's a, it's a covenant commitment that God has made with Israel, and of course, the new covenant commitment that God has made with, with us, with the church. It's covenant priority. Notice that Moses gets this to bring down to the people, but he spends, before he brings it down, he spends 40 days with the Lord. Just being with the Lord. And, and with no water or bread. And God is sustaining him. And he's getting this revelation from God. You know, before all else, God is at the center the people of Israel with Moses' job. He had to lead them, but he, spent, he spends 40 days with the Lord. Remember, your covenant with the Lord is with him, first of all, before it's even with the church or anybody else. And finally, I want to say, it, it, it's, the interesting thing is that the covenant is recorded. These 10 commandments that we had in Exodus 20 are written down. And of course, we have a written Testaments, you know, the word new, new Testament is another way of saying New Covenant, same with Old Testament. And uh, we have a kind of written, we have a written revelation, the Scriptures. What a blessing it is from God. But remember, the Scriptures are not God. We don't believe in Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, right? We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Scriptures are inspired, absolutely true, without error. They're meant to lead you, however, to God. They're not God himself. And so it's always, always pointing you beyond the page to the person. Let's finish then. Covenant loyalty, right? Covenant community has to be loyal. How are they going to be loyal? Two big things that are going to make the difference. Number one, their commitments. And number two, their celebrations. What are they committed to? And what are they celebrating? And those two things in place, they won't guarantee your loyalty but they're going to help, particularly when you do them in faith. Amen? Because in, so I'm not saying we should go back to the full-scale church calendar. Some of it might help occasionally. Because every day in the new covenant is the Lord's day. Every day belongs to him. So it's not just a question of setting up special days to remember special things. But the celebrations of life and the commitments of life are those things that shape our values and teach us the ways of the Lord, and they're recorded for us. And so let us be a celebrating, committing, committed, loyal, covenant people. Amen?
going to continue to worship and in some ways celebrate with song um, this covenant, the new covenant that we're, we have with our Lord. Um, so if you would like to take some time to reflect on your relationship with God or to pray or to fill out that connection card and let us know how you're doing or how we can help you. Um, if you would like to sit or stand with us as we sing, uh, we invite you to do so. In the pressing, you are making me wise. In the sorrow, I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hands. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the sorrow I now surrender. Are breaking new ground. You are breaking new ground. So won't you make me a vessel? Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing. Came here with nothing. 
Thank you for the new life you give to us. The fact that we get to celebrate uh, and just be your people. I thank you that you have chosen us and have marked us and uh, called us to be yours and your children and your priests and your representatives on this earth. Help us to remember this. Help us to live uh, truly as if we are yours. We thank you. We ask these things in your name. Would you guys stand with us as we sing one last song? you've done before in greater measure you will do again there's no prison wall you can break through no mountain you can move all things are possible there's no broken body you can raise no soul that you can't save all things are possible the darkest night you can light it up you can light it up oh God of revival let hope arise death is overcome Already won, oh God of revival. You rose in victory, and now you're seated forever on the throne. 
why should my heart fear? You have defeated. I will trust in you alone. There's no prison wall you can't break through. No mountain you can't move. All things are possible. There's no broken body you can't raise no soul that you can't save all things are possible the darkest night you can light it up you can light it up oh god of revival let hope arise death is overcome to come awaken us. Come awaken your people. Come awaken your city. Oh God, a revival. Pour it out. Pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. I hear the chains hit the ground. Oh God, a revival. Pour it out. Pour it out, come awaken your people, come awaken your city, oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out, every stronghold will crumble, and I hear the chains hit the ground, oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. for joining us this morning. Uh, we have a great week. And we see you next week to worship our God again. <laughs>